Welcome to Tactically Acquired. Our goal is to document military-connected living history in a fun and easy environment. We will capture the stories of our active duty, guard, reservists, veterans, ROTC, and their families, sharing their stories, adventures, and journeys across the military life cycle. The podcast is for anyone interested in joining the military, has been part of the military, or wishes to learn more about military life. In addition, we want to bridge the growing military-civilian divide through education. This is unfiltered, meaning we'll go over the good, the bad, and yes, maybe even the ugly of being a military-connected individual. I'm your host, Rusty Martis, a retired Air Force Mustang and OEF veteran, and I run the Veterans Resource Station at North Kentucky University. I'm very excited today to be able to sit down and hear some of our heroes around the area, some of their amazing stories, thanks to people working cooperatively. This program, Welcome Home, Thank you for those who served in the Vietnam War. Before we hear those great stories, I just want to tell you a little bit about PWC's Ramp It Up for Veterans program, which has provided essential home repairs and accessibility modifications for over 6,000 veterans and their surviving spouses these last 12 years. PWC believes in offering a helping hand when it's needed most. They provide critical home repairs and services so the veterans can remain in their homes living independently and healthier in a sound, safe environment, making a real difference in the lives of those who's given up so much. Speaking of giving up so much and some of those heroes, we wanna welcome in our special guest today. Sir, thank you very much for coming out today. Do you mind just starting by introducing yourself with your name and branch of service? I'm uh, Richard Bevington. I served uh, in the U.S. Army in the field artillery branch for 26 years. Wow, long time, sir. Yes, it was. Yeah. When did you serve and how did you actually end up into the Army? Well, when I was a, a student at Xavier University, uh, in my sophomore year, uh, my father sat down with me and s told me that, um, from his experience during World War II, that the war in Vietnam was heating up and he thought it would be best with my education if I went in as an officer. So he encouraged me to sign the contract to take senior ROTC at Xavier, which I did. Uh, and that's how I graduated uh, and was commissioned in 1967. Absolutely, and uh, what did that lead to after you commissioned? Because that's right around that time frame that we were talking about, I think, is that correct? That's right. Uh, this was, uh, of course, in uh, June of 1967. It was before the big event of Tet in 1968. But the first year of a young officer's life generally is uh, a lot of training. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of training to become uh, at least trainable by the non-commissioned officers. So uh, I went off to officer's basic course at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I went to ranger school at Fort Benning, now uh, Fort Moore. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, from there I was uh, put in a Pershing Missile Battalion at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I was stabilized for a year in that position because of the strategic importance of the Pershing missile at that time uh, as a being a theater nuclear weapon. Uh, and it was in April of 1970 that I went to Vietnam. Okay, so you spent time overseas. How long were you in Vietnam, sir, if you don't mind me asking? I was there for 12 months, the standard tour. Okay, so your job that you held in the Army was it dealing with those missiles or was it, uh, what was actually your position there? Uh, actually, after I left, left the missile battalion okay. in April of 1970, 
uh, I returned to cannon artillery. So uh, I was in Vietnam in a direct support field artillery battalion in the 199th Light, Inf Light Infantry Brigade uh, at uh, Zwan Luc, which was a, fire, uh, a big base to the east of Saigon. I was there for about four months when uh, that unit was sent home. Uh, the, arm, the army was already drawing down forces uh, in Vietnam, uh, and I asked to be transferred to the 104th Airborne Division, which was up uh, in I-Corps, uh, mm. adjacent to the demilitarized zone. So I was sent up there. Okay. And so you had mentioned that you're a ranger, too. Yes. How does this all play in with your experience over in Vietnam? Well, there is some confusion about what being a ranger is all about. Mm -hmm. Uh, principally the school that I attended, and at the time there were no ranger units on active duty. Gotcha, okay. Uh, the last of them were uh, closed out after the Korean War. So the school was uh, aimed at uh, young small unit leaders, uh, lieutenants and uh, non-commissioned officers. And that's what it did, trained you to be a small unit uh, platoon leader, squad leader, uh, in, in an infantry unit. Now, I was in the field artillery, right. but also at that time, it was one of those things that if you were going to be a regular Army career officer, you wanted to have done. So since I had a regular commission from ROTC, I decided to do that. As a matter of fact, when I got the paperwork uh, at Fort Hood, Texas, I went to a, a senior non-commissioned officer Master Sergeant Austin, you know, great guy, great man, great patriot. I asked him about what I should do because I could have gone to airborne school or ranger school. And he said, Lieutenant, he said, uh, you can always go to airborne school, but this may be your only chance to go to ranger school and you should do it. So I took his advice and that's what I did. Wow, and it's amazing how great that advice always comes out from our NCOs. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. the men with the experience. Exactly, exactly. So um, as an officer, how many personnel were you responsible for uh, during your time in Vietnam? And we can talk a little bit after you get out of Vietnam a little bit later. Well, in Vietnam, when I got, when I got to the 101st, well, let's, let's start back when I was in the 199th. Mm -hmm. I was a battalion fire support officer. They have a different name now. Um, battalion field artillery uh, liaison officer is what they were called then. Uh, and uh, we were in Hamtan, which was a little village way, way east of Saigon, right on the, right on the ocean, on the sea. Uh, and it was, it was a time in, in the late summer of 1970 uh, and the unit was being drawn down, as I said, sent home. And uh, I remember quite well, I had, uh, I was in the uh, battalion operations center and we had a uh, battalion out and the, uh, they were just settled down, be ready to be picked up. Had a young uh, E4 who was the uh, field artillery observer because the lieutenant was not there. He would, they, he, they weren't sending any new officers because of the drawdown. So he was carrying the radio and, and handling all the calls for fire. They had a relatively uh, inactive patrol, but the company commander uh, felt that somebody had been following them 
and he had a sense that someone had been following them. So he told everybody to get down mm -hmm. uh, and wait for the helicopters to come. Well, unfortunately, this young man decided he needed to have a cigarette. He stood up and was shot dead. Oh, no. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. Uh, he's one of the heroes that I, uh, that I pray for a lot. Uh, and um, so I was at the battalion level. Uh, I was a captain by this time, uh, coordinating fires. And when I came back to, um, to the brigade main base back in Saigon, um, we were, I had orders to go to uh, two field force artillery, which was another large artillery brigade. And I really felt like I wanted to get in on the action uh, more than I had been. The, uh, when I was an officer of basic course at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, these young guys showed up from the 82nd and the 101st Airborne Division to go through the course with me. And they all came in in their jump boots, you know, blouse uniforms, spit shine boots and all of that. And I said, I want to be a part of that outfit. So that's why I asked to go to the 101st. Uh, I got up there. Of course, it was not spitshine time when I got up there. Uh, and I was given a, uh, told I was going to take command of a firing battery on a firebase called Rakasan, which uh, there's a book about the firebase, which had been involved earlier uh, back in uh, the May-June time frame in a horrendous battle. Uh, and I was about to go there, and another officer came in and took my place. And I was remained at the battalion headquarters commanding the headquarters and service battery. So to answer your question, how many people did I have? Well, I had a lot of people, but most of them didn't work for me. I understand. So they worked for the operations officer. They were, they were out with infantry battalions. Uh, they, they worked for the, for the sergeant major doing details. They worked in the motor pool. I just was administrative officer over all of them, took care of their needs when they came in and, and when they left. And, in that capacity, I lost another soldier. It was never uh, a position where I had responsibility for a lot of soldiers till I returned to, to actually with troops in 1977. So I had a big long space when I was involved in a, a foreign area officer program. Uh, and I ended up back asking again, I wanted to go back to the 101st, so I was sent to Fort Campbell. Hmm. And there uh, I told my commanders that I wanted to command troops again. They were astounded. So I was a senior captain, you know, soon to be uh, a major, and they couldn't understand why I wanted to be uh, in command of troops again, but they were thankful that I did. Hi, I'm Staff Sergeant Jason Myrtle. I'm the recruiter for the Kentucky Army National Guard here at NKU and in Northern Kentucky. The Kentucky Army National Guard offers 100% scholarship to any public university in Kentucky, along with a possible $20,000 enlistment bonus additional income while attending college, and numerous other benefits. If you have any interest or questions, my contact information will be in the show notes. Go Guard. I got command of another headquarters and service battery. And why did you want that? Because that's what you do. Mm -hmm. That's what, is, as an officer in the Army, you are paid, you're trained, your desire is to lead soldiers. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where you get the most fulfillment. That's where you actually get to do hands-on and practice your trade. Uh, and I wanted one more chance to do that before I became a field grade officer 
which most of the time you spend on staff somewhere, which is exactly what happened. What ended up happening. Yeah. I, I want to jump back a little bit from the time that you were in the process of leaving Vietnam and coming stateside. Mm -hmm. Now, your experience might have been a little bit different because you are a retired officer in the Army. But can you explain a little bit about uh, what that experience might have been like for those that didn't experience that? Well, this is a, a tough thing to talk about. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I did not personally uh, receive the reception that so many of the other heroes who came back. And I use the term hero because a lot of people, you know, you know this thing is that, well, you were drafted, you were a volunteer. Whatever the case may be, you went when your country called. Mm -hmm. And to, in my mind, that makes you a hero, okay? So um, whether you, you went because you were drafted, you didn't flee somewhere or try to hide or go to law school or the case may be, you actually stood up and said, okay, I will serve now. Okay? And those who volunteered, which was a larger number than people generally think, were even greater in their dedication. They were just super. So when I returned uh, on that uh, 707, three, three, six, six, uh, six soldiers across, arrived uh, at uh, the air base uh, in, uh, in Washington State uh, at like midnight. And I was given a ticket to fly home on a red eye. So I, I called my wife, who was already in bed uh, here in Cincinnati. She was living with her parents, uh, she and, and our oldest son, and um, told her when I would be arriving uh, and asked her to come and pick me up. So I flew in and got off the plane. There weren't many people on the plane. Everybody kind of ignored me. And of course, CVG was totally different in those days, but met my wife, and of course, you know, it was wonderful to see her, and you know, we kissed, and she took me home, uh, and uh, we went to bed, and I woke up the next morning, and she was already up, because she was used to getting up with, uh, with our son. And I was exhausted from the trip. Absolutely. So I go downstairs, her parents, who owned their own business, were already gone. She didn't ask me anything. She didn't say anything. It's just like I had gone to the store and come back. And how long were you actually gone, sir? I was gone uh, 12 months. Okay. But we had R&R, &R, so you know, we did see each other for a week at mid-tour in Hawaii. So that afternoon, I went over to see my parents. It was the same thing. It was like, no questions about how are you, what's going on, it was like, I've been to the store and just come back. I, I was astounded. Right. Um, it's like they didn't want to talk about it. Of course, the media, politics, everything that was going on put all of us vets in a bad light. And I think they might have been afraid to ask me questions, but it never came up again. So I was home for a month. No one ever asked me about this. My wife began to ask me a few questions. 
I then next went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma to go to the officer's advance course there in field mm -hmm. artillery. At that time, I was really disgusted with the Army from what I saw in leadership and organization, uh, how things were going, uh, and the attitude that the American public had about their Army. But I made the decision to, because I, I had another year after, if, when I went to the advanced course, I had to serve another year. That was an obligation. And what happened was I was required to, to serve that year, and then I got a call about sending me to fully funded graduate school, which I accepted. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. The Army's paying for everything, yeah. you know? So I went, uh, and during that experience, I and my wife made a decision to make a career of the Army. Uh, because I realized that, after all, I loved being with the troops. I loved serving my country. I love my country. I love putting on that uniform every day. Uh, there were some days that weren't so good, but most right. of the time, it was a it was a it was a good experience. Absolutely, and I I love the fact that you mentioned that was a family decision that you worked to stay in and the retirement of the of the army well thank you very much sir for sharing your story and i want to thank pwc people working cooperatively for allowing us to do this today it's titled welcome home thank you for those who served in vietnam sir i want to provide this to you it is a commemoration of the 50th anniversary as we are still celebrating or recognizing you as a vietnam vet and personally want to welcome you home thank, thank you, very you very much, much. thank you can I just say one more thing? Absolutely. It's a great honor to serve your country. You're faced with some very difficult situations. Those men who joined up after uh, September the 9th, 2011, great heroes, great patriots. Uh, and um, I would encourage any young man, young woman out there today who is in high school, is thinking about serving, to join up for a couple of years. It will be a maturing experience, a great experience. You'll leave home, you'll learn a lot about yourself and about the rest of the world. If you are going to college, seriously consider going through ROTC and becoming an officer because the services need educated, dedicated men to lead these volunteers that we have in the service today. And the universities are an excellent source for that. So join up, serve your country, come home with pride, experience, and maturity. Absolutely. I think that is a perfect place to end this portion of the show. And thank you, sir. I appreciate it greatly. Thank you very much.